Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? Good, good, good. Man, it's good to see, like, I don't know what's going on online and how full your house is, but it's good to see, like, the people of God coming in. I I keep having conversations with people uh, week over week that go something like this. They start out and they go, hey, I've been watching online And some people go back, like, I've been watching online since quarantine. I've been watching online since the past two months. I've been watching online since the past year. And over and over again, when they come back in, they say something along these lines. It's just different in person. And, um, yeah, the people in the room said amen. And, again, I'm not trying to twist arms. And, again, there's some of you, you're you're on the other side of the screen, and and you're watching there. I just want to tell you that there is something beautiful. And, again, Maybe, I don't know what it is that you're necessarily looking for to go, hey, this is the clear indicator to come gather back together with God's people. But I, I will tell you, and, and I can rest on this, there is something different. Now, different doesn't necessarily mean better, but different is different. And our hope and our prayer is that uh, wherever you're at on like, hey, I'm never, ever going to, I'm going to be online forever to, hey, I, I, I never wanted to ever go online in the first place, uh, that we would realize that, man, there is something special about being able to, to lock eyes and to hear a room sing praises to God like that. And if you're online, man, we love you. We, 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 we are so honored to be able to have this invitation into your life to be able to worship God together. So there's nothing less. You're not less than. But again, uh, we want to be able to continue to treat this family that we're a part of as something that we can actually, truly, in the deepest way possible, um, the deepest way that's healthy, the deepest way that makes sense for whatever is going on in life, that we can go as deep as possible, all right? So let me pray for us and we'll dive into what God's got for us today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all the things you're doing, what you're working on, uh, what you're doing inside of us. Jesus, I, I know that in a room like this, you brought people all in from all sorts of different backgrounds, God, and I pray that they know that they're not, one, that they're not an accident, and two, that they're not here by accident that you are an incredibly intentional God, that you worked out every unique aspect of where they lived on planet earth, what time they were born, so that they could be in this place to sit under your word, to hear from you, God, today. And we thank you for that. In your name, amen. Hey, I want to talk to a special group of people before we really dive in all the way into the message. I want to talk to specifically people, if you're kind of new to MCC. If you're kind of new to MCC, um, that's awesome. We're so glad you would take some time. And I would say maybe you've been new since like Thanksgiving to now. Uh, At MCC, we do this thing called Connecting Point Lunch. It's going to be happening next week. Connecting Point Lunch is going to be happening. It's a lunch that we do so nobody could ever say this. You know, I really like that MCC place. That preacher, he was, you know, a little out there. Uh, Music was good. People were nice. But I never just got connected. That's so that that can never be said. This is that point where you can get connected, where you can learn a little bit more about who you are as a church, where you can figure out where you fit into this crazy family that is MCC. And so that's going to be next Sunday, right after this service. We're going to do lunch. It's Olive Garden, breadsticks. Whew, praise God for carbs. It's going to be awesome. Look, if you're new you, you, and you haven't been to one of these yet, here's the reality. Look, you're going to have to eat lunch anyway. Let us provide it. Come and get connected. Take a step. Learn a little bit more about this church. Move out of just kind of sitting in the stands, kind of going, hmm, I wonder about this place. Like, your mind's probably already made up, all right? Come to Connecting Point. We're going to have a great time together. It's going to be good. That's next Sunday, all right? Next Sunday, and child care is available for that. You got to register for that because we didn't, you know how your kids are. Like, we got to know they're coming. Um, So Connecting Point, that's next Sunday. It'll be right after this service. Um, men in the room, we're going to continue to have probably two more of our uh, Tuesday morning men's gatherings. Those are at 6.30 a.m. right in this room. We've continued to see some awesome stuff happening. Men stepping into baptism, men stepping up into purity, men stepping up into confession, letting God in. Uh, just amazing things have been happening in that environment. So uh, men of God, if you haven't taken the time, you're like, be there. 6.30 a.m. in this room every Tuesday morning. Um, be there. It's awesome. I'd love to invite you into that. Today, I want to see if you can uh, finish 
this phrase for me. Not men's meeting. Oh, wait, yeah. Men's meeting, lunch, that. This, this phrase. No, oh, I gave it away. <laughs> I'm still getting used to this thing. Give me some grace. Um, I'll see if you can finish this phrase. The road to hell is paved with, you already saw it, shut up, uh, good intentions. All right? So the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Now, you've probably heard this before. You've, you've, um, you've leaned into this before. The heartbeat behind a quote like this is that I would rather you actually do something with your intentions than just say you're going to do something. And I think sometimes we can hear a quote like this and think that intentions don't matter. But today, we're going to be leaning specifically into intentions. We're going to lean in as we talk about in this series how to build our life on solid, solid ground, what it looks like to first to surrender to God, to obey him, to, to love him for who he is and what he's called us to do and how that love comes out from us. But then if we want to build a life that can withstand a storm, we have to build it intentionally. You don't just magically have a storm-proof life that comes with intention. Now, the problem is when we hear intentions, we just think of the person who had good intentions but let us down. And it seems like there's this back and forth between intentions and actions. And most of us would say, man, I don't, whatever your intentions are, I don't, that's beside the point. What's most important is actions. The point I want to try to lean you into this morning is that intentions and actions is not a vice versa. It's not a one versus the other. It's a both and. And if you have good actions and there are good intentions behind them, you've exponentially increased the good that can actually happen. So let me prove this to you. Uh, fellas, just your friendly reminder, as your pastor and your friend, your brother in Christ, uh, Valentine's Day is coming up, okay? It's, it's this month. It's the 14th. Um, yeah, so that's coming. Now, ladies, I need you to show us something so we all can be on the same page and help me prove this point, that it's not an either or, it's intentions and actions, all right? Would you rather, option A, your man, and again, that can be your... Uh, boyfriend, it can be your whatever, it can be your husband, uh, not your whatever, your man, like, <laughs> track with me. The man you're romantically involved with, okay? If he, on the 14th, during his lunch break, swings through CVS and grabs a card and a box of chocolates, and then he gives them to you that evening, would you rather he do that or spend the exact same amount of money and buy you something that specifically pertains to your tastes and your preferences that maybe highlights back to an inside joke you guys have, but it's something specific to you, all right? Now, which would you rather have? And again, he spent the same amount of money on both. Which means more? The one that had some, you know, I got it at CVS, or the one that had some intentional specificity to it, all right? Option B, ladies, raise your hand, all right? Show, show the guys, we all need to see. We're visual learners. Okay. Every woman in the room is going, hey, I don't care how much it costs. I just need to know that it was somewhat intentional, that I wasn't an afterthought. Okay. Again, you, we, sometimes guys, we can do the action and we think, oh, well, I did something, you know, something, you know, and, and that's no more time than that is when us fellows go, but it's the thought that counts. <laughs> like, yeah, but you only thought about it on your lunch break and then didn't think about it ever again. And see, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. It's what we're all after is not just an action, but an intentional action. One that goes, I uniquely know you. I uniquely see the situation and the circumstance, and I'm going to act with intentionality to give the circumstance exactly 
what it needs. Now, you can hear something like that, and you can go, okay, yeah, that's, that's kind of a good thing. I, I understand that. I, I get that. But what I want you to understand here is this whole conversation around intentionality and actions, it doesn't just make good things better. It actually saves us from the danger that can be caused by the bad things in life. Because most everybody in here, you've probably had a conversation that went kind of like this. It was usually in your head where you sat around and you, you, you've, you've came to a crossroad in life or you've hit a bottom or you've ran into an incredibly stressful storm situation and you said something like this, how did I even get here? Now, some of you said that metaphorically speaking, like, how did I get here in this situation? Some of you, you, you had a, a crazy life post -Jesus, or pre-Jesus, and you're like, how did I get here? Like, literally, how am I in this house? I don't know how this happened. How did I get here? And again, that's okay. We all have parts of our story that are like that. Some of you, how did, how did I even get here is the amount of debt. How, how did this even happen? How am I dodging these phone calls? How did this even happen? How did I get here? Or maybe it's, how did it get like this? After she sends you the text messages and says, hey, I'm going to stay at my mom's for a few weekends. You, you, sit, you sit there and you read this and you go, man, how did it even get like this? How, how, did, it, how did it even get like this, that, that, that we sleep in different beds? How, how did it even get like this with my kids that they refuse to come and visit during the holidays? How, how did it even get like this? How did it even get like this, that, that the sin that used to make me weep and be frustrated and that I used to just not, I would be repulsed by. How did it get like this? That This is something that's just become a part of me that I can't say no to anymore. How did it get like this? I'm willing to tell these lies, make these stories, do these things. Most all of us, if we're honest, there's been a time and a point in our life where we've said these things. How did I get, how did I even get here? How did it even get like this? The reason that happened is because we lost intentionality. The, to, to sum it up, the reason that happened is, is this, drift. See, so, so you, don't, you don't get to a, you're waking up in a bed with a stranger overnight. You, you, you drift into that. You, you, don't, you don't just wake up and you're magically crazy in debt. You, you drifted into that. And so what we're going to lean into today is, is this drift. And today I'm kind of hoping that it, we can understand what drift is. Drift is this, um, it's being carried away slowly. And here's what you know about drift. It's being carried away so slowly. This is a danger in drift. It's being carried away so slowly that you don't even realize it's happening. It's like it didn't even happen. Again, that's why at the end of drift, when you bump into the storm, you're going, how did this even happen? Because it was happening so slow that you didn't even realize it was happening. And so when we talk about drift, I want you to understand that, that today, hopefully, is a little bit of a wake-up call. Because, man... If there's one thing that I'm confident that Satan would want to do in the church in America is allow us to continue to drift further and further and further away from what he has called us to be, to drift away from discipleship, to drift away from holiness, to drift away from his word, to drift away from his standards. And so what I want you to understand is that one of Satan's primary strategies that we don't talk about enough is drifting. He wants us to drift. See, we think Satan is just about blowing up our lives and just ruining every aspect of it. Satan really... He, he really doesn't want you addicted to meth tomorrow. He wants you to continue to go home and numb the pain with alcohol. And soon enough, he'll upgrade to something stronger and he'll put that in front of you. Satan is really not about you getting a divorce by the end of the week. He's just about you looking forward to going into the office Monday and spending a little bit more time at your cute coworker's desk. And sooner or later, he'll turn a desk into a hotel room. He, he could care less if 
your kids hate coming to church by the end of the month. Now, some of them already do. <laughs> let's, work, let's work. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna work with that, all right? We're praying for them, man. Pray for, your, pray for our kids. Pray for our kids. Pray for our kids. But look, he's not after them hating coming to church now and then hating coming to church for the rest of their life. What he's after is you just going, it's rainy, so we're going to stay in. So they go, oh, well, that must not be that big of a deal. It's give or take. It's give or take. So I could take it or I can leave it. See, Satan's strategy is drift. Drift ruins marriages. Drift leads to divorce. Drift puts you in debt. Drift. It's not some big, crazy overnight thing. It's the little, bitty, incremental drift into the sin. And you know what? This is what's crazy about drift. Do you know what you have to do to drift? Nothing. You have to do nothing. You do nothing at all and you'll drift. And, th- and here's why. The world we live in has what's called an undercurrent. Th- there's a current in our world. This world is broken, fallen, sin scarred. And I didn't have to tell you that for you to already know that. And if you just try to stay still, if you're trying to follow after God, it is a proactive endeavor to take up your cross and follow him daily. And if you just, if I just pause, yo, I'm going to drift. I'm going to go in the, I'm going backwards. And so what we've got to understand is that if we do nothing, we're doing something. There's no fence straddling and following Christ. And you don't get a stormproof, solid ground kind of life without intentionality. And so what I walk you through today is I want to talk about the drift. And hopefully as we begin to, to really hone in on, on what causes the drift and what's happening when we drift, we can begin to feel it when it happens. Because that's the thing. Satan loves to get you drifting and you not even feel it, not even notice it. It just becomes the new people you hang out with. You wake up, you know, a year down the road, you got a whole new set of friends. You got a whole new wardrobe. You got a whole new things. You hear, oh, oh, wait, no, I'm, he wants you to go that route. So let's talk about drift. First thing that I think is the beginning process of drift is this. Start out distracted. Now again, just some innocent distraction just a little distracted and I'm just paying attention to this. I'm just seeing what they got going on. And again, we all have devices. It's no coincidence that the end of that word is vices. It's no, co- I mean, it's, it's really silly. Like, I mean, it's called TikTok. Like it's, it's, I don't know how much time it's like, it's just blatant. Like we're going to waste your time. And again, uh, you don't, your life, that's the currency of life. He wants us distracted. And that's where drift begins. I'm distracted from what he's called me to do. I'm distracted from this family. And, and again, you've got a million different things that are set out to distract you. It's money may distract you. Comfort may distract you. The approval of other people may be what's distracting you. Or it may just be dumb cat videos online. But it's like something is distracting us from God's call on our life. The author of Hebrews, he understood this. Hebrews, uh, the guy who's writing Hebrews, we don't necessarily know it's Paul. I would probably lean towards saying it is Paul. But Paul's writing to the church there. And he's writing to these people and this church group of people here, they're a persecuted group of, of people who are converted Jews, okay? So they grew up with all the Jewish Mosaic laws, all right? Now remember, what happened here is all the Jews were like, Jesus, you are not our Messiah. And they got the, the Romans to partner with them in that effort that Jesus was not our Messiah, and then they crucified him. And some of those Jews, people like all of his disciples, they're like, no, we really believe he is the Messiah, And then the church began to explode. Peter began to preach about this Jesus. And he he says, you know, all of our Old Testament scriptures, they point to this guy. And so for you, if you are a Jewish person, a Jewish person who is now believing in Jesus, you had your old whole group of friends who's going, you're not really who you were. You don't fit anywhere. You almost don't even feel like you're a new Christian, but you really don't feel like you are what you used to be either. So Jesus is writing to these people. 
who are now beginning to face persecution and animosity because they have put a flag in the ground to say, I am running after Jesus. And they're facing persecution. And Paul, or whoever's writing this, they understand that there's a propensity when you begin to face persecution to go one way or the other. And so he says this. He says, we must pay the most careful attention. Again, he's saying, inspect. He's saying, you know, get out your binoculars. Get out the magnifying. We have to pay careful, close attention. We're not just allowing whatever comes into our life to come in. He says, pay the careful, most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. All right, pause right there. He's, he's helping us understand that there is an equation to avoid drift. That the thing that will cause us to drift is what we allow to be the input in our life. That's why he says, when he says the things that you can pay attention to, he's saying, pay attention to what you've heard. Now, you may be asking, what did they hear? Here's what's fascinating about this. This is why I love the Bible, and I think it is evidence that we should actually follow it and listen to it. What they had heard were eyewitness testimonies from people who had actually seen Jesus rise from the dead. Okay, so this is still early enough that the people who would have been there post-Jesus' resurrection were still walking around on earth. So they can go up to a guy like Matthew and be like, hey, man, I, I met this dude, Matthew. He was one of Jesus' disciples, and he died, and he, he's given his eyewitness testimony that this actually happened. And there's this guy, Peter. He's starting this whole church in, 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 in Jerusalem, and they're talking about killing him and whipping him and flogging him. He's already been flogged like 14 times. And I can't see of any other reason why he'd be willing to go through that unless that guy he said was Lord and said he was going to die and then rise again, actually did that. There's no way that these guys would be crazy enough to face this persecution if they really didn't see a guy rise from the dead. And so he's saying, lean in, guys. And here's the reason why we lean into what we've heard, so that we don't drift away. So we don't drift away to other things that we're hearing, other messages they're saying, oh, no. Again, the other blueprint of look inside yourself. Do what you want to do. Be you, boo-boo. Again, when they, dig up our, when they dig up our civilization years and years from now, they're going to look at that phrase and go, what? What, what, what is that? I don't know. So he says, pay the careful attention that you don't drift away. And so I would ask you the question, what's got your attention right now? What's the thing other than what God's really calling you to that has the most of your attention? What voices you are allowing in? Another passage in Hebrews I think leans into this. Again, he can clearly tell you, he's trying to get our attention here. Watch out, brothers and sisters. And this is where he says, this is where we help each other. This is why this whole thing that is body of church is really hard to do in isolation. It's really hard to do in your own corner of the world. It's really hard to do in a deer stand, okay? He says, watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, okay? Now, he's gonna tell you how you watch out. It's not by you watching the mirror. He says, but encourage one another, okay? So how I watch out, by making somebody, making, how do I watch out? I watch out by making sure I have somebody to watch out for me. Family member, a brother in Christ, someone who I'm in group and community with. I can't, I, no one is more self-deceptive than you. We lie to ourselves more than anybody else. He says, okay, you gotta encourage each other daily. And encouraging, daily, encouraging each other while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. See, sin, again, from the very beginning, the snake slithered up, and did what? Told a lie. It's all about deception. To deceiving you that you're actually standing still. That's the deception. When in reality, you are not standing still. You are moving one molecule away. Deception. It says, for we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly. Again, this is like, I'm not drifting. I'm holding firmly to him. We are headed somewhere. Heard firmly until the end. The reality that we had from the start. He's saying, listen, 
Jesus is going to take us back to the beginning. He's going to take us back to what it felt like when you first started. How many of you remember that? Raise your hand if you started following Jesus before you turned 18. Like you, you gave your life to Christ. Look around the room. Okay. If there's ever a reason to say we should like pray for our kids, that whole right thing right there. The re, if there's ever a reason to invest in the local church, it's that right there. Most people make their decision to follow Christ before they turn 18. That's why we put an emphasis hugely on the next generation here at our church. And you remember what it felt like back then. Some of you fell in love with Jesus around the same time you were falling in love with a member of the opposite sex. And if you're honest, it really didn't even compare because Jesus was so much greater. You knew that he was healing your wounds. You knew he were getting out. You remember what it was like to have him as your real first love. And he's saying, I'm gonna take you back to what it was like in the beginning and then some. But Satan's goal is to get you distracted, to get you to listen to his voice, to pay attention to anything and everything else. And again, he doesn't care what the distraction is. And hear me on this. For some of you in the room, you're believers, we gotta understand this. Satan likes to use good things as distractions for believers. He's not gonna get you distracted with some nasty, filthy, terrible, you know, drug, you know, whatever. Like he knows you wouldn't go distracted. He'll love to get you distracted from your marriage with your kids. He, he wants to get you distracted from pouring into the kids and being the, the spiritual provider for your home because he wants you to just rest on the fact that you are the financial and physical provider for a home. I put all the food on the table. Meanwhile, the kids are going like, you know, what's, what's dad like? How is he? See, say, say he loves, again, he doesn't care what he distracts you from God with. He doesn't care what he distracts you from what's important with. Even if he's distracting you from number two priority with number three priority, he doesn't care as long as he's distracting you from what's the main thing. That's his goal. So when we get distracted uh, from there, what we do is we begin to become restless because we're focusing on all these other things. Um, restless, I would define like this. Restless is the inability to rest because of either two things. It's the inability to rest because of anxiety or boredom. And I would say for, for ladies in the room, I, again, as I've counseled and talked with and had conversations, I would say the female uh, heart and brain and soul is gonna tend towards being restless with anxiety. And I would say the male heart, brain, soul, whatever you wanna label it as, it tends to be more restless with boredom. I just don't have anything to do. I don't have anything important to do. So I'm gonna numb out on these things. And, and inside when I really, I, I, the reason I have to go to sleep with the TV on or I have to go to sleep, you know, I, I fall asleep looking at my phone is because I'm restless because I really don't feel like my life has a meaning or a point. Whereas the, and again, I'm just broad stroking here. There's plenty of women who suffer from the boredom side and there's plenty of males who suffer from the anxiety side. But we get restless because from the anxiety side, we're going, Oh, oh man, I'm just, look at all these things and I don't know where to start. And I feel like I'm being pulled in a hundred different directions because this is going on here, this is going here, this is going here and I'm distracted and I don't really know what to do with what's happening. There's a, a, a prophet, Jeremiah, and he was talking about how, to, how God was seeing what was happening to his people. And God described it like this. And he spoke it through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, my people have become lost sheep. And again, it's not because the shepherd was bad at shepherding. They became lost sheep because they got distracted and they began to be restless and they wanted to find things in different pastures. He says, they're shepherds. And again, well, I, that's, who knows what that is? Who knows what your shepherd is? For them, they had false prophets telling them this was the way to go. They had false prophets going, oh man, God's really not mad at you. Your sin isn't that big a deal to him. Peace, peace, it's all good. I don't know what, again, we all have our shepherd. And some of us, the shepherd is us of going, yeah, yeah you, you earned this, you deserve this. It's good for you. Your shepherds led them astray. And again, sin, the, the starting point of sin is prioritizing any voice, even your own, over God's voice. Their shepherds led them astray. They've made them turn aside on the mountains. They have gone along from mountain to hill 
and they've forgotten their resting place. Because they've forgotten their resting place, they're anxious. They're worried, they're nervous. Like, okay, I know there was this pasture that was a good place, but I've gotten so far off from that, I don't know where I should be. I don't know where I belong. Drifted. It's kind of like when you take your kids to the beach, you know, and, and anytime you take your kids to the beach, and again, raise your hand if you're one of those parents who like, your kids aren't even allowed to get like ankle deep. All right? You're like, we don't even go to the beach. We go to the pool. We go to the pond. We're not even allowed. We take our kids to the beach, and, and, and I usually take my chair out, and I sit right there, or I'm out there with them, or with Titus specifically, the seven-year-old. But whatever hap- what always happens is there's always a current taking him this way, or that way, whichever one it may be, because he can be right there in front of me. And every now and then, you got to realize where your marker is, because he doesn't know it. You're just riding the waves in. You're just body surfing. And then you look up, and you're 100 yards down the beach, and you didn't feel it happen. And what I want you to see is that's what happens to a lot of us. And again, it's, it's not wrong for a sheep to want to eat. It's not, it's not wrong for a sheep. Like God created that in there. But when we get distracted and, and we get mad, like, oh, well, I'm just eating the same thing. I'm just doing the same thing. This is the same thing. God's trying to build some character in us. And we're like, I want something new. And so we'll go to the hills. We'll go looking all around. And then because we're sheep. And again, I love that God uses sheep to describe us the most because they're the, like one of the absolute stupidest animals that he ever created. Um, you know how like you can drop a dog off on the other side of town and I, you should never do this, but you drop a dog off on the other side of town, that dog's going to find its way back. Dogs have what's, uh, dogs have it on the animal scale of things. They have a really high, what's called a honing mechanism. It's that something inside of you that can just find its way back. You know, some of you in the room, you've got that. Like you can just know, okay, I feel like we should turn here. Now some of you, you do not have that and, <laughs> and you do not have that and you're prideful. So you don't ask for directions, but sheep. Sheep, terrible honing mechanism. I could take a sheep and like it could be pasture here. And, it, and this is what's crazy. They, they, they could be out here and they have forgotten their resting place. And you know what? And this is what I need you to understand. Because some, some of you, this is you. You're forgetting the resting place and it's like two yards away from you. You, in your head, Satan wants you to believe that my resting place, oh, I got to go, I got to, I got to, you know, go 15 days without doing this. And I got to tell them I'm sorry. And I got to go buy 14 new Bibles and I got to delete this subscription. And God's going, your resting place is right around the corner. Don't, don't buy that lie. And the other side, again, what causes that restlessness, it's the anxiety for, from, you know, God's not providing. So I'm going to try to provide for myself. So I'm restless in all of this. It's causing me to drift. The other aspect is, is the boredom side. And fellas, this is where I think sometimes we find ourselves in. Ephesians 2 10 says this about us. This is a man and women thing. This is all of us. It says, for we are God's workmanship. The Greek word right there for workmanship is this word poema. Now, fellas, I know you're not walking in, introducing yourself to the new guy at work and going, what's up, man? My name's Jim. I'm a poem. Like, we're not saying that. Like, I am a poema. Like, we can, we can relate, though, to saying we're God's workmanship because what's bound up in that word? Work. We were, we were born to work. God gave Adam things to work on before he gave him Eve and way before the fall. We were created to work. That's why he says we're his workmanship. And we we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, this is where we miss out. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think so many guys go to bed restless, feeling like they're not really making a dent in the world because the things that we call good works are not the things that God calls good works. We think, and again, guys, this is the reason why, I said this before, this is the reason why we get fired up over football. This is the reason we get fired up over sports. This is the reason we get fired up about catching the next big bass because God hardwired something in us to go after the next thing. But again, hear me in the room. Many of you in this room, the sports team that you are most fired up about, 
the, probably the top two of, of Braves and Bulldogs. They won it this year, right? Okay. What are you still looking forward to next year? You still care. Like you're still at you. Like there's like it, it didn't quench anything. Are the big problems in your life still there? Are the are the bigger problems in your life still there? Even though those teams won the championship and they did the most glorious thing that they could possibly do, are those still things in your life that you wish were changed? Yes. Did those things, then winning change it? No. That proves to us that there is something different to invest in that taps in and brings healing that actually matters. So he says, okay, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That's like from the beginning of time when he knit you together in your mother's womb. That's an intentional God. And fellas, men, men, women in the room, listen to this. God has a long-term plan for your life. In the same way that Satan is playing the long game and wants you to drift, God wants to pull you into the amazing things that he has for you. That's the reason why Satan is so strategic in how he calls you to drift because he knows what God is drawing you to. From here, once we become restless, we begin to enter this place where we get this identity crisis and we don't know who we are anymore. I love this passage of scripture in Romans 6, 6 or 7. When you have this identity crisis, you forget this. We forget that, for we now know that our old self was crucified. Like that old me, the old person that still wants to look longer than I should look. The old person wants to spend money the way I, I want to spend money. That old person has actually been crucified with him. It's dead, it's gone. It's been crucified with Jesus. So the body, again, that's the flesh. That's everything inside of you that wants to think what you want to think, drink what you want to think, do what you want to do. That body that was ruled by sin. Again, you, you tried your best to rule it with your self-control and self-confidence, but you didn't. It was still ruled by sin. That body ruled by sin might be done away with. Praise God for that. That it might be done. It's gonna be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. See, this is what I think is crazy. Man, sometimes we get saved and we think we're still sins. Or we, or we, we get saved and we think we're still slaves. The Bible says this really clearly. For whoever the son sets free. Again, Jesus is, is the prince. He's of the royal king. He's a king, king, lord, lord. If that prince says that person, they used to be a slave in this kingdom, a slave to sin. If they're now free, well, the son has said that about you. And you're free. So you really are free. And with that freedom, we're set free, no longer to be slaves of sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I think this is where we have this identity crisis. And when the identity crisis comes, I think it falls on the fault line of guilt and shame. What Satan wants to do in the midst of the drift is to get you in your sin and to think that you're still slave of it. And again, a slave is an identifying characteristic. You are a slave. I don't care about your name. You're a number. You're a slave. And see, what he wants to do in, in sin is to get you to make a mistake, to commit the sin, and then because you did something bad, his goal is to get you to think, I am something bad, to move it from something you did to something you are. Because in shame, you won't go after and pursue the Father. You, in shame, you will stay drifting. In shame, if I believe that I am a terrible, wretched, scum of the earth person who's still been struggling with the same thing since middle school, I cannot kick this habit. I continue to struggle. I just feel depressed. I can't kick this anxiety. I can't kick this depression. I'm just broken. If that's who you are, why in the world would a good, holy, perfect, loving God want to have anything to do with me? I guarantee he's up there in heaven just going, get, get your crap together. You, come on. Again, him again, her again, this again. See, that's what, that's what he wants to do in shame. I have this identity crisis to think that's who I am. That's really the crisis. What, what God is more after there, again, he knows you're gonna mess up. He understands that. 
That's why he gave us his word to show us the times when he does. That's why he sends us the Holy Spirit to, to illuminate to us the times when we do mess up. But he doesn't want us to go into shame. He wants us to go into guilt. And again, godly, the Bible says godly guilt leads to repentance and life. Godly guilt goes, this is what I did wrong, but this is not who I am. Sin has no victory in my life. Sin has no hold in my life. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a son and a daughter of the most high God who went to the cross, bore my sins so that I can have new life in him and I can be made new in him. That's what, that's what grace says. And that's a new identity. And again, guilt, when you sin, will continue to push you and push you and push you back into that so that it doesn't push you into who you are not. It pushes you into who Jesus is. All right? From there, post-identity crisis, we begin to fake it. You've been around these people. The, the people who have drifted and they've landed here, this is the reason why some of you haven't been in church for a while. You ran into some fake Christians who said they go to church, said they do these things, and then you caught them in a, what you thought was a weak moment. And you said, mm, I'm not with that. This is what keeps a lot of people from coming back into church. They go, oh man, if I come in there, I'm, that's, I'm gonna have like my fake it meter. I can be around my work friends. I can be around my family. I can be around a few different people and I can keep my having to fake it, pretend to be good, pretend to be all right. I can keep that meter down on about a three because they'll give me a lot of grace if I say slip up and say a cuss word. They're not expecting me to do that. But if I come to church, you know what I've got to do? I've got to dial that meter up to about an eight or nine, right? I got to get in the car with the kids and normally I'd be, you know, I'm listening to all sorts of stuff and putting on a Christian radio station. Yes, children, you know, like trying to get, you know, come in, oh, bless the Lord. How are you today? You know, you know, like we, we got to dial that up and that's not hard. It, it's draining to fake it, isn't it? It just sucks the life out of you. You, you go home and you're like, why am I so tired today? <laughs> you, all I did was go sit and listen to that guy talk for like 30, 45 minutes. Why am I so tired? Well, Faking it wears you out. I love what the um, Bible says about this. In 1 John 1, 8 through 10, it says, if we, um, if we say we have no sin, we've deceived ourselves. And again, we're the best at lying to ourselves. We lie to ourselves more than anybody else lies to us. If we say we have no sin, we've deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins though, and then that's the key. If we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. Now, I, I gotta, you gotta see something right here because you can just skip right over this and just go, oh, those are cool church words. Let me see, let me help you understand something about Jesus that maybe you miss if you just read through this real quick. Okay, so he says, if we confess our sins, again, there's the if. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Now, these two words, and just, that's huge kingdom implications because he could say he is faithful and forgives us. And that sounds kind of good, right? God is faithful and he forgives us. We tell our kids that, we tell ourselves that God's faithful and he forgives us. Start adding and just in there. And here's why you gotta add that in there. The reason he forgives us is not just because he's faithful, but because he's just. And in his justice, he allowed Jesus to receive the punishment that you should have received. That's why he can say he's not just faithful, but he's just. Because if he was just faithful to forgive, he'd be the terrible judge who... Though a perpetrator murdered someone in your family, got up on um, his judgment seat and said, hey, person who murdered a person in my family, who murdered that, their family member, do you realize that what you did was wrong? Mm-hmm. They say, yeah, I, I know it was, a, it was a mistake. And do you, Are you sorry that you did that? Yes, I am sorry. And then said, okay, well, do you want to be forgiven? And then the perpetrator who murdered the person in your family goes, 
yeah, I want to be forgiven. And that judge just goes, all right, man, you're free. That's a lot of you guys' view of who Jesus is and who God is. And that's a, that's a gospel without Jesus. It's, it's this way. Hey, you murdered this person's family member, okay? Now another person who's a part of their family is gonna take your punishment, which is death. That's how he's a just God, not just a graceful God. And trust me, you want a God who is actually just, who will hold people accountable. And, and that's what's happening here. So when you read and just, that's Jesus, Jesus is the justice of God. It's, again, track all the way down. He is just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. Where do you think your, unrighteous, your righteousness went? All of your unrighteousness went to him on the cross. And that's the reason you can be forgiven because he took all the righteousness off of him and now places it on you and says, son, daughter, your righteousness. On the cross, I took all of your unrighteousness, paid, not just, I didn't just wear it, I paid for it, payment, drank the whole wrath, the whole cup of the wrath of God so that you can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. But it takes confessing. And I would say this, this is uh, not a, um, if we say, and this is the continuation of our, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is what you need to understand about confession. Because some of you are going like, okay, <laughs> this is where you're at. Okay, I just got to confess. I'm just going to tell God and move on. And friend, I've been there. And here's what I can tell you, honestly. I know for a fact that when I confess my sins to God, he forgives me. But my question is, do you want forgiveness or do you want healing? The Bible says that if you want to be healed, can go confess your sins and go to the elders of the church for healing. Go to the leaders. And again, you can say you have to go to elders. I'm just saying you have to go to somebody because what I found in my own life, I've tried my best to just like, just get healing. Just go, God confess. And I'm, I don't want to deal with this anymore. But what I found is that God will not heal what you won't reveal. And when I talk about reveal, I actually am saying to another human being. And again, I'm not saying God hasn't forgiven you. But the healing, the freedom, that thing that, men, you want this. You want that sin that you struggle with to become repulsive. To get to the place where they talk about like cigarette addicts, they start smelling cigarette smoke and they're like, oh, you want to throw up. Where it grosses you out. Where it's the last thing you could ever think of. And I, I again, God can do miraculous, he does do miraculous things. I have yet to find Full freedom and full healing come without full revealing. From freaking it, this is the bad part. All of it's bad. This is where it leads to, though. At least a tragedy. Again, not just like, oh, man, I'm drifting. It's a bad thing. No, it ends in tragedy. Look what it says. James, Jesus' brother, which again, I don't know what your brother would have to do for you to believe he was God but it would probably be raised from the dead. Um, James obviously believed his brother was God. He says all this stuff about him. James 1.13 says, when we are tempted, and again, not if, when, when we are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God's just trying me. He just put me in this Henry County traffic. Nobody's going, God is, God's not doing that. That's just how life happened. It says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged. There's that drift. When they are dragged, a drift. And again, we think that drag is just like sin grabbing you right here and just pulling you out. Like that's not what sin does. It's a slow, 
so that you don't even realize it. Drag. When they are dragged away by whose evil desires? Your own, all right? They're in there. By their own evil desires and enticed. It's crazy. Then, he's telling you how sin happens. Then, after desire, the desire God's put in you. And again, that desire is not necessarily something that's evil. It's it's an okay desire to want a spouse. It's an okay desire to want to provide for your family. Those are all okay desires. He says, but after that desire is conceived, okay, it gives birth to sin. Now, that conception is that point in your mind where you go, if she flirts with me one more time, I'm going to see how far I can take it. If somebody offers me something stronger than this, I'm going to take it. Two years ago, I saw how much money I could have got in my return if I pressed that button. I think I'm going to press it if it shows up again this year. That's, that's when that it's, it's like it's conceived. It hasn't been born yet, but it's there. He says, once it's conceived, though, it gives birth to sin. Again, it always is where it's the natural flow. And sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. It gives birth to tragedy. Death. And again, that's what I love about God. He always tells you the repercussions for our sin right up front. It always is death. That's exactly where it leads to, and that's the only way. Okay, so we've walked through. We walk through the drift. Now the question is, okay, that's what's happening when, when, when drift is occurring, okay? Now, the question is, how do I get back upstream? How do I get out of the drift and get pulled back into where Jesus would call me to? It's the exact same way. If drift is wear down, we just take the drift back upstream and we'll walk through it. First of all, we gotta start with a tragedy. We gotta go to Mark 10, 45 and see that Jesus came. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. Our, again, friends, if we are in faith, if we are Christians, our faith starts with death. It starts with the death of the Savior, and then next online is yours. Say, I'm dead to my sins, I'm alive to Christ. It starts with the tragedy. From there, I don't have to fake it anymore, I faith it. I don't have to pretend. I, I can know by faith, I can confess my sins to you. I can reveal this stuff to you. And if you judge me because of that, then that's on you, not on me. It's a, I'm gonna, in faith, be honest. I'm gonna, in faith, let my wounds be shown. I'm gonna, in faith, post a selfie where I look kind of out there. I'm, in faith, gonna do these things. I'm gonna, in faith, give. I'm gonna, in faith, steward. I'm gonna, in faith, show up because I know that I want this life and this faith to be real. From then, I, I don't go into identity crisis. My identity's in Christ. I look to the cross. I see who he is. I see what he's done. And I see that, that, that in his word, he says, I'm a dearly loved child of God. There's a spirit that he put in me that cries out, Abba, Father. And the only thing that will answer back, Abba, Father, like I love you, you're my child, is the Father. No man, no woman, no drug, no substance, no TV show, no uh, beverage, no nothing is going to satisfy the spirit inside of me that's crying out for a father God. That's who I am. And from there, I can rest in Christ. I don't, I don't have to live this rest of his life. I rest in Christ because I know he has amazing things planned for me. And I'm determined. I'm determined no matter how fast this stream seems to flow in the opposite direction, I'm determined. And I don't get my determination from me pulling myself up from my bootstraps. I get my determination from Christ who obediently was determined to set his face towards the cross and go for that, who said, I count it joy to suffer and give my life for the joy set before him, he endured that cross. So, man, if it could be joy for him to endure the cross, then it's gonna be joy for me to pick up, take up mine today and follow after him. So the question becomes like, are you willing to do that? Of Luke, Luke 
9, 23, when he says, okay, then he said to them all, and again, that's the disciples and you included. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, which I, I, I feel this in the church in America right now. And maybe it's just in the church in our city. But man, I, I just think, I think people are sick of gimmicks. I think people are, 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 are sick of like just being, and I'm, I'm be careful with this. I think people are sick of just being Christians. And I, and, I, and I think the younger generation coming up could really care less about being a Christian. I think they wanna know what does it mean to be a disciple? Not what does it mean to believe all the right things about Jesus, show up to all the Jesus events. And so the question becomes, not do I want to have a Christian wedding when I get married? Not do I want to have a Christian um, birthday party? Not do I want to listen to Christian music? The question becomes, do I want to be his disciple? Follower, not a knower, a disciple. Do I want to be his disciple? And he says, okay, <laughs> if that's you, if I want to be his disciple, he says, I must deny myself and take up their cross daily and follow me. Here's what you got to understand. Nobody takes up a cross by accident. You only carry a cross intentionally. There's, there's no accidental cross carriers in this church. There's no accidental cross carriers in this world. You carry a cross on purpose because that's where God has called you to. So I'm gonna end with this question and then I'm gonna baptize somebody. It's gonna be awesome. The question is this. This is a take home. It's to ask a spouse, ask a friend, ask a kid, ask a parent. Is your direction like where you're actually heading, does it line up with your intention? Because you can say, I'm intentional. I'm going to start being an intentional parent. I'm going to start being an intentional spouse. I'm going to start being intentional at work and, and work as if I'm serving God, not serving this company. You can say, I'm going to be all intentional. But the question becomes, does your actual direction, like what you're choosing and doing, does it actually line up with where your intentions are? And if you sense a gap and you see a gap, what are you doing to make things change? Desiree's amazing woman of God who I'm getting ready to baptize. This was her story. She said, I've been, watch I've been watching for months and everything in me, and again, I think this is the live Satan who wanted her to continue to drift out of church, said, hey, you, you, you haven't been in a long time and I don't think you're quite ready to go back in person yet. Just chill online, just watch it and everything else. Last Sunday, she showed up and she just kind of laid it all out there. And she's like, I know this is what I gotta do. And in doing that, what she was saying is here's the intentions I wanna have. Here's my intentions for my daughter. She's, I think she had like, it looked like she had like 17 daughters. She's got five, five, like five, little, five girls who are looking to her to be like, who are asking her, what does a woman of God look like? What is a woman of God? And she, she can say, I wanna be a great mom. And that's my intention. But I think where she felt conviction was going, even my best intentions weren't necessarily lining up with my direction. And so the direction she wanted to head to was into this place, and into the baptism. And you guys are gonna get to receive communion. And you're gonna get to celebrate as we lay her down to her old life and then raise her up a new creation. But I gotta ask you the same question. Where's the gap between your intentions and your direction? And what does Jesus want to do in your life to stop you from drifting and to pull you back into the relationship with him? As you receive communion today, I pray you see that. I pray you know that the, the blood that is represented by the juice in that cup and the wafer that represents his body that you're about to eat, that that was done with intentionality and purpose. And that same God who did that not by accident says, you're not an accident, I have big things for you. 
Stop drifting away from them. I'm gonna pray for you, receive communion, and then we're gonna celebrate together of what that cross and that empty grave made for one of our friends. Jesus, I thank you for these people. I thank you for your word. Draw them into a deep place of conversation with you today. Drown out all distractions and reveal to them the truth they need to hear, see, and feel in these moments. In your name, amen.